Well, good morning and welcome again to Bible Center Church. My name is Matt and the senior pastor here. It's great having you worship with us. And I want to invite you one more time. Let's thank those that led us in worship this morning. Trust that we're a blessing to your heart. Go ahead and open up your Bible with me to Joshua chapter 4. Joshua 4. I'll begin reading in verse 1. Let me ask you to stand if you're able. Joshua chapter 4 and verse 1. I love, love this story. Joshua chapter 4, verse 1. When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Take twelve men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, Take twelve stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan, from every place where the priests' feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Joshua called the twelve men from the people of Israel whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe, and Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God in the midst of the Jordan, and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come, what do those stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off, so the stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Have you ever gone on a trip, but you weren't sure you were going to make it to your destination? Have you ever set out on a journey, but you weren't quite sure if you were going to get where you had intended to go? That's exactly what the people of Israel felt when they were on their way to the promised land. Hundreds of years before, God had promised Abraham that they were going to have a land that's going to have boundaries, it's going to have borders, it was going to be theirs. They were going to own it. And they were so close at this point in the story. We've talked for the last two weeks how that they had come almost to the edge of the Jordan last week. Well, this week they are at the edge of the Jordan, and they're camping out for three days. They can see the promised land just over the river. They can almost throw a rock and hit it. They've come through 40 years of wilderness wandering, 40 years of funerals, and all they have to do is go less than a mile, and they are in the land. But there's a problem preventing them from entering, and that's the Jordan River. The Jordan River on the south side, the south side of the Jordan, uh, was notorious for being turbulent year-round, but it was extra turbulent during this time of year. It was the spring of the year, and so imagine the gully or the new river in the spring season. That's a lot about what they would have experienced. Instead of it being about 100 feet wide and about 3 to 5 feet deep, it could be twice that size on the south side just before going into the Dead Sea. And so they had to cross this river not only by themselves but with their children, with their grandchildren. They had to cross this river with uh, their livestock. They had to cross this river with everything that they owned. And so it would have been nearly impossible to do that without a miracle. You can picture as all the people are standing there wondering if Joshua knew what he was doing as the leader. 
probably, if they were made up of people like we're made up in our churches today, you can picture people questioning Joshua in various ways. I know where I fit in this list. See where you fit in the list. Somebody would have said, well, I knew we should have taken a left turn at the Dead Sea. We should have stopped and asked for directions. That's the analytical The methodical would have said, well, we followed step-by-step instructions, but somebody left out an instruction. A lot like putting together an Ikea piece of furniture or one of your kids' toys and only discovering a piece is missing. Somebody said, well, Joshua didn't cast enough vision. Or the person who's connected loves and worries about people being connected says, well, I'm really worried about the morale of the people People are talking, Joshua. They're not sure if we took the right way. The people who love to compete, the driven people, are saying, hey, let's do this. Let's all just swim across the river. And you can see moms and dads with small kids saying, stay away from my children. There's no way we're swimming across the river. You know people who love to collaborate say, well, maybe if we all hold hands or if we lock arms, we'll cross the river together. And then the accommodating person says, well, you know, the whole idea seems risky. People really just want to stay where they are. Let's just stay where we are, and we'll just start a new nation on this side of the river. But Joshua knows that's not what God wants. God is calling Joshua, and God speaks to Joshua to lead his people across the Jordan River. He's not sure how it's going to happen, and so the Lord speaks to him clearly. He says, Joshua, take the priests, take the Ark of the Covenant, and have them go to the water's edge, and I will work a miracle for you that you can't imagine. The story is similar to Moses when Moses stands with his people at the edge of the Red Sea, and God told Moses to tell his people, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And so you can imagine as Joshua turns to the people and says, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And they all march down to the river's edge. The Jordan River isn't just as calm and peaceful as we often see it with pictures of Jesus. For he probably was baptized more on the northern side of the Jordan. So they're having to go down crevices and canyons and get down to the water's edge. And picture there's a hush over two million people as these priests come to the water's edge of the Jordan and dip their toes in the water. What's going to happen? About that time, as soon as they step into the water, the ground shakes beneath them. The rocks and the cliffs shake above them. It seems as though the water itself is experiencing the earthquake. And as they're standing there, a holy hush comes over the people and the water stops. How in the world did this happen? One man looks up and he notices several miles up the river that it looks like the waters are are heaped up, kind of like they are at the Red Sea 40 years prior. Another person says, well, there's no way this just happened. It must have been a landslide or must have been a mudslide. And somebody else says, I don't care how it happened. We're going across the river on dry land. And they take their kids and their cattle and their sheep across to dry land. Picture as they stand on the other side of the Jordan and they look back. In the middle of the river is still the four priests holding up the, the Ark of the Covenant. 
And Joshua says, go get 12 stones. Four big, or excuse me, 12 big burly men with beards go and they grab big, large stones and they come out of the river and the priests come out of the river and by that night where they camp, they pile up the 12 stones into a memorial or a monument for everybody to see. Joshua has a dedication service at the monument and he says the purpose for this monument is so that when your children ask you, why are these stones stacked up, you can remind them of the salvation at the Jordan River. You can picture that night as the warriors are preparing for their first fight. They know that Jericho just is next. They don't know how they're going to conquer Jericho. God hasn't given that instructions yet. And you can picture the soldiers coming back and the warriors the night before not being able to sleep, looking at the monument and reminding themselves, we are not alone if God saved us in the past. God can save us in the future. They were to tell their kids, when you're discouraged, remember, if God saved us in the past, God can save you in the future. When you're scared, tell your kids, if God saved us in the past, he can save us in the future. When you're hungry and you don't know where your next meal is coming from, tell your children, if God saved us in the past, he can save us in the future. When we're anxious and depressed and discouraged and tired and worried, tell your children that if God saved us in the past. He can save us in the future. And so we come to 2017. What can a message like this teach us on Thanksgiving week? We could summarize it the same way. If God saved you in the past, God can save you in the future. Let's celebrate it another way. Celebrate the past so you can conquer your future. Celebrate the past so you can conquer your future. This is Thanksgiving week, and we have the opportunity to look back a lot with family and friends. We're going to eat a lot of turkey, a lot of mashed potatoes, a lot of gravy, whatever your favorite dessert is. But when we look back, we're not just thinking, T-H-I-N-K, but we really are thanking God for his grace in the past and reminding our family and friends that God can see us into the future. How can we do this practically? What's a practical way that we can celebrate the past? Well, I'm going to give you just a few pointers this morning, things that helped me as I was studying Joshua chapter 3 and 4. I hope they'll help you as well. We'll move quickly. Number one, create reminders of God's faithfulness in the past. Number one, we can create reminders of God's faithfulness in the past. God loves symbolism. God loves memorials. God loves reminders. We see it in this passage, but it's all throughout the book of Joshua. I learned this week that there's actually seven memorials in the book of Joshua. Seven times God tells them to take rocks and stack them up. Seven times. I learned this week that Moses did the same thing at the base of Mount Sinai. If you're taking notes, you can read it in Exodus 24. There were 12 monuments. The ark was a reminder. Aaron's staff was a reminder that was in the Ark of the Covenant. The manna, the stone tablets were reminders. Symbols 
are good. God loves symbols as long as they don't become idols. I love symbols in my life as well. I was thinking this week, what are some symbols that help me remember important truths for me? Well, one is a wedding ring. How many of you, you men, you got your wedding ring on? If Maybe if you're working on the car. I don't work on my car. Uh, but if you do work on your car, you might take it off, but you put it right back on. I've got another ring that reminds me of my love for my girls. This ring right here. Some of you have asked me, what is this ring on your right hand? Well, like probably seven, eight years ago, I don't want to embarrass them now, but I'm sure I'm already embarrassing them. They were little girls. They're not little anymore. They were, they're big now. But when they were little, they were jealous that mom had a ring to remind me of my love for her. And so I needed a ring to remind me of my love for them. And so I think it cost like 50 cents in a machine on vacation. And they gave me this ring, and I don't think I've taken it off uh, very many times in the last seven, eight years. But this reminds me of my love uh, for my family, for my girls. I have coffee mugs that remind me of certain things. I've got a Disney coffee mug that, yeah, don't take away my man card, but, man, I pull out the Mickey Mouse coffee mug, and it reminds me of great vacations. I was looking through my coffee mugs this morning and realized I still have a University of Louisville mug Probably need to get rid of that one. Uh, replace it with another WVU mug. But reminders can be helpful to point us to greater and greater truths. There's a number of ways you can apply the message to your life, but maybe you could put a wallpaper on your phone or on your iPad or on your computer. You could set alarms on your watch just to remind you maybe to, to pray or to be thankful of God's presence. You could put a verse this week on your fridge or on your bathroom mirror or in your car or on your desk at work. You could start a family time capsule. Some of you told me this week you've done that. You could put a cross in your pocket. Several of my good friends put crosses in their pockets and remind them of God's grace. This holiday season, you could do traditions, all of which that point us to God's faithfulness in the past. What's another practical way that we can put the message into practice? Well, number two, we can also be thankful for our own salvation. We could say it this way. The thing we should be the most thankful for is our salvation. The goal wasn't to remember the river, but to remember grace. The goal wasn't to remember the river, but it was to remember mercy. In Joshua 24, verses 23 and 24, for the Lord your God, Joshua said, dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over. So all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty and that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Where is salvation pictured in this passage? Well, if you're taking notes, it's in several places. There's actually probably five or six. I'll give you three. Three areas where salvation is pictured. First of all, it's in the Red Sea. Throughout the Bible, the Red Sea is used as a picture of how God parted the waters. It's used in the Old Testament and the New Testament as salvation. The Ark of the Covenant is a picture of salvation. The ark was a place where they would actually, on the lid of the ark of the covenant, was what they called the mercy seat. And they would sacrifice the animals as a picture of the perfect lamb of God who would come one day and take away the sins of the world. So the ark of the covenant is a picture of salvation. Even Joshua's name, I haven't said this the last two weeks, and it's been in my notes. 
And I get to the end of Sunday and say, I need to mention this. You know the name of Joshua is the same name of Jesus in the Hebrew and in the Greek? It's exactly the same name. So when, when Joshua would have been called, we could say Yeshua, Jesus was called Yeshua. Jesus is just simply a, a modern translation of Joshua. It means Yahweh, Jehovah, is salvation. And so here you've got the Ark of the Covenant going across the water. You've got Joshua leading the people just like the Red Sea. There's all these pictures of salvation, but I've got to give you one more. I didn't know it till this week. 22 times in this passage, the word cross is used in Hebrew. 22 times God saw fit to make sure it was included in this passage. Did the original writers know that they were pointing to a Roman method of execution? Absolutely not. But I still think it's really cool. That 22 times you've got Joshua and an ark and the parting of the waters and you've got cross. This passage is screaming salvation. One encouragement for you this Thanksgiving. Yes, be thankful for your country. Be thankful for your family. Absolutely be thankful for the turkey. But most importantly, let's be thankful for our salvation. To think that without the grace of God, we would be on our way to an eternity without Christ, getting what we deserve. There is none of us in this room who can say that because of our intelligence or because of our decision making or because of our wit, we somehow found salvation. We found the grace of God because God gave us his grace and when we thank the Lord for everything, let's thank the Lord for our salvation. This morning, I'll be at the front of the auditorium after both services. If you have questions about what it means to know Christ as your Savior, Dick Reif did a great job yesterday presenting the gospel. We want you to know and believe Christ died for your sins, was buried, and rose again the third day. For you. Number three, how can we put it into practice? Well, we can set reminders. Number two, we can be thankful for our own salvation. But number three, prioritize the next generation over your own. Number three, we can prioritize the next generation over our own. Children love to ask questions, right? Your kids. Even if you don't have children, you've been around children, they love to ask questions. I had a kid ask me this week, Pastor Matt, why is there more white showing up on top of your head when you bend down? I'm going to talk to his parents, have him kicked out of the church. I said, well, these are the deep things of God, only for pastors to understand. Joshua knew kids would ask questions. And so in this passage, we're reminded that, that Joshua says, when they ask, listen to Joshua 4, verses 6 and 7, when your children ask in time to come, what do the stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off, so these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. Joshua 4, 21 and 22. When your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know. 
Israel passed over the Jordan on dry ground. The Lord in the Bible certainly calls us to honor generations who've gone before us. And we want to continue to do that, and we want to do an even better job at that. You know, it's easy when you're 37 to think the world is 37. And it's easy when we're 77 to think the world is 77. And God is, I sense God's invitation to, to understand and try to learn some of the struggles that, that you're facing if you're 77 and the struggles you're facing if you're 17. Because both are really foreign to me. The 17 one won't be that much longer before I figure that one out. But it'll be a few years for the other. I'm thankful to be part of a church that has older, wiser, livelier saints I'm glad for all the activities that we're doing. I'm glad for the groups for our senior saints. I'm glad for one of our pastors whose time is so largely dedicated to that. I'm glad for our deacons serving our our widows, especially our older widows. And I'm thankful that I have people continually coming up to me and they say, well, Pastor Mount, when are the services going to be a little more contemporary? Why do we have to hold back so much in our services? Some of you, a few of you may be saying, that's not what I'm thinking. I'm thinking the other. But we get it both ways. And what I tell them is this. We are a multi-generational church. So we're going to go a little slower just to make sure we can get everybody on board together. But while we want to honor those with gray hair, I think we can all agree that God invites us to think about the next generation more than we think about our own. I'm already at the place the elders and I were talking on Thursday night about the need to incorporate illustrations for teenagers more in the service. And there's other things we were talking about. And I realized, you know, I just kind of live in my age group. And I forget there's a generation coming after me. But I hear that's something that we're all going to wrestle with. And I want us to be a church that leans forward far more than we lean back. This week I was reading on some of the history of Bible Center and do you know that we, this is our ninth location as a church? Ninth location. You can go to BibleCenterChurch.com and click on history and see our nine locations. But early on, they were going from storefront to storefront and basement and apartment to eventually they got to where we are today. And you can imagine this pioneering spirit that the church planter in 1943 had by the name of R.M. Maxwell and the first pastor who didn't even own a car. They called him the peddling parson, Pastor Reed Jepson. And they bought their first house on Broad Street, which Broad Street doesn't even exist anymore. This is Leon Sullivan Way now. They bought a house that, where the Union Mission Crossroads Shelter currently sits. But as you read, they were constantly thinking about being on the cutting edge and reaching the next generation for Christ. And so we can step into the same pioneering spirit that they stepped into 75 years ago. Alice Hill told me the other day, I love the story. She said, Pastor Matt, my mom was one of the charter members here at Bible Center. And she said, my mom told me this, churches that don't change are churches that die. And she said, Pastor Matt, I might be one of the oldest people in the room, but I'm in your corner because I want us to reach the next generation for Christ. We think about the, the forward, those coming after us, more than we think about ourselves 
We can do this at work by mentoring younger employees. If you're a student, you can serve children. If you're single or married without kids, you can serve those coming after you. If you have kids, you can serve your own children and then serve where your children are involved. If you're an empty nester, you can find younger men and younger women and build into their lives and invite them for coffee. If you're a grandparent, you can figure out what interests your grandchildren and build bridges into your grandchildren's life and not expect them just to find out your interests. If you want to find a place to serve at Bible Center, there's one for you. At the end of every service, we have a Bible Center in five down here on my left. If you're looking for a place to plug in, Jane Jackson or any of our staff will be here on my left after the service for five minutes and would love to help you plug in. How else, finally, can we put the message into practice? How can we celebrate the past to conquer our future? Well, lastly, and number four, we can make every decision with the salvation of others in mind. Number four, we can make every decision with the salvation of others in mind. Notice verse 24. Joshua is explaining the why. Why are we doing this? Verse 24. So that, verse 24, Joshua 4, all the peoples of the congregation may be comfortable. Nope, that's not what, verse 24 so that all the people of the Lord may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty and that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Every decision that Joshua made wasn't just for the people of God, but he said, we've got to make these decisions. We've got to celebrate the past. We've got to set up these stones. Not that we may bow down and worship the past, but we're doing this to create some motivation and create some excitement so that those coming after us can continue to reach forward and see more people know our great God. Our vision at Bible Center is to be a church Charleston can't live without. We want to glorify God by producing more maturing followers of Jesus. And as we become passionate about our neighbor hearing the gospel, and we become passionate about Charleston seeing Jesus, it affects the way we go to work, it affects the way we love our families, and it affects the way we do church. Celebrate the past so you can conquer your future. I want to invite our worship team to come and close us out. As they're coming, we're reminded in Joshua chapter 4 and chapter 3 that the people of Israel took three days. Joshua had delivered some heavy sermons. Joshua had heard some heavy words and some heavy challenges from God. And then he gave them three days just to think on what they had heard. We're not going to take three days, but we are going to take three minutes and before we're dismissed, I'm going to ask those of you sitting on the edges or the aisles, if you're in the outer sections, on the outside seat, there's a basket right underneath your seat. And if you're sitting in the middle section, there's baskets on both sides. I'm going to ask you to take that basket and pass it down. And as you're passing it down, if you'd pull out a rock, our staff has worked hard this week to put on a couple thousand rocks, the words, not alone. I'm going to ask you to take a minute and say, Lord, how can I celebrate the past so I can conquer 
my future. Let's take a minute and meditate, pray, think, hear these words, and let's move forward as a church family.